We have a wonderful opportunity to practice today. And uh, Pawan has uh, opened an important door last night. Right at a significant moment in our retreat. This is the heart of the retreat. Just about halfway, a little over halfway. And the Buddha often wouldn't open this teaching of the Four Noble Truths until the mind was malleable, until it were so busy bouncing off of things. It's, it's hard to take in this handful of leaves. That powerful image comparing the handful of leaves to all the leaves in the forest. And the Buddha said, I I offer, I teach this handful because this is essential. Essential for liberating us from this endless cycle of suffering. It's called samsara. We we think we've arrived and it's feeling good and then we lose it. We arrive and we lose it. We arrive and lose it and distressed and not sure what to do and where to go. And that this, he offered this handful of leaves because it was essential. He knew all kinds of things. Oftentimes when he was asked to, what do you teach? He said, I teach dukkha. And the ending of dukkha. Suffering and the ending of suffering. There's some say, oh, you Buddhists are just so long faces. Suffering, it's all suffering. Oh God, those Buddhists are a real downer. Wait a minute. We've got good news. Wait, we have good news. It's only the suffering and the ending of suffering. Suffering is not a permanent condition. That was the extraordinary insight. It's conditioned certain circumstances give rise. And that with those aren't present, suffering ceases. What is revealed is what's been here all along, but that we haven't noticed this luminous that we chant every morning when we're chanting the qualities of the Dharma, this Santitiko, always here and now, Akaliko, timeless, Ehipasiko, it's inviting us, Opanaiko, deeper and deeper, Pachatang Vetitabhoenyuhi, to be experienced by each of us, each wise being for themselves, this heart, the purity of the heart, when it's not distorted, when it's not under the spell. So Pawan opened that important door for us, beautifully. And we now have the opportunity not to interrupt Kitty Sorrow, but we got that last night. <laughs> Suffering, cause, cessation, path. I mean, so let's keep it moving. <laughs> yes, that's very good. 
That's very good. But notice she's talking about there's a, it's, it's, it's one thing even to, to know that is something. But these noble truths uh, need to be understood. She used the word comprehended. And in our, in our monastery, the, uh, our teachers always kept encouraging us that the Buddha gave a task with each noble truth and that really you could call it an ennobling truth. Noble truth, you know, I've got, I've got the, the truth. It makes it sound like a little thing you put in your pocket. I got those. It's on page two. Look, let's move to the deep stuff. Ennobling, suffering, needs to be understood. Our teachers, Western teachers in Samadho, like the word understood because it has, at least within the English, the notion of standing under, opening to, allowing, feeling, being vulnerable to the suffering. What is the suffering? And then Pawan laid out, the Buddha was quite specific. You know, birth can be dukkha. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, birth is, whoa. Sometimes birth can be very, very difficult. My sister-in-law was all lined up for a perfect water birth and it went on for days and then had to have a cesarean. It's challenging. There was pain. That was just for the mother. The child, it's not necessarily an easy process going from one dimension when you're all, everything in the womb, just out, naked, vulnerable. Birth is dukkha. Aging. A lot here can relate. <laughs> Criticism there. Solidarity. (laughs) Aging is dukkha. Sickness, not easy to bear. Dukkha means not easy to bear. It's also related to do apart from akash, apart from the perfect. It's, It's not easy, not perfect, difficult to endure. Death. Being united, being separated from the loved, it's not easy. Being united with what the last thing you want to, okay, I'm, I'm going there, but I... And then the person you most didn't want to see sitting right next to you. Oh my God, I... But the, oh. United with the unloved, not easy to bear, dukkha. Not getting what one wants. Dukkha. In short, the Buddha summed it up, the five focuses of the grasping mind. When the mind grasps on something and wants it to be me and mine, our dukkha. Forms, these bodily forms, our possessions, the forms of nature, feelings, the pleasure, the un. The pleasant, the unpleasant, the pleasant, the painful, the neutral, perceptions, moods and patterns, moments of consciousness, of noticing. These are the focuses of the grasping mind. This dukkha, these experiences need to be open to, 
understood. And this suffering has a cause. And Pawan opened up this cause, this tanha. I can't say it right like she does. But doing the best I can. Tanha. This craving, this thirsting. It's compulsive. It's almost pathological. We have no choice. Got to have. Bhava Dunha. Got to become something. It's not here. Bhava has a trajectory. It's always leaning, skipping over a bit to where we got to get to. Don't get in my way. I'm getting enlightened. (laughs) As we run over someone. That's uh, collateral damage. I'm on my way. We're trying to get successful. These aren't bad things. But when there's that trajectory in time, we skip over a treasure. We're not judging that working hard and accomplishing things is wrong, but when there's bhava, we're overlooking the treasure. Weep bhava, that means not becoming, the desire to get rid of, to destroy, to be freed from it. And Isra and I used to have a mantra. It's still there, but we're working on it a little bit. We would wake up in the morning and I would go, oh, it's too difficult. And she would say, it's too difficult. And then there's part of one that just wants to stay under the covers. It's too difficult. That can be our mantra. And it's a ill will. The, the will is... It's, it's not willing. There's a barrier. There's a pushing away. This cause of suffering also needs to be understood, and the, the task is it needs to be abandoned or let go of. The cessation of suffering. The task needs to be realized, tasted, pachatang, for ourselves and our own heart. When we're not clenching and resisting, grasping and rejecting, even if the circumstance is painful. We're not saying that there still aren't things to do. But where there isn't that pathological grabbing and rejecting, and there's a holding lightly, allowing things to be, there's the cessation of that dukkha, which then reveals peace. The heart itself, the ground of being. It's path to the ending of suffering. The task is to be cultivated in our moments of mindfulness. Moments of restraint as we're undertaking a training of living harmlessly and ethically. Moments of overspeeing our speech to see that our words are are true, timely. Not just meant to hurt, have meaning. overseeing our actions, our efforts to cultivate composure, these meditative practices. 
our efforts based on whatever composure we have to look into vipassana, look into the nature, have insight into the nature of things. Dhamma vichaya, to investigate the Dharma, investigate the way things actually are as they're arising. This is our path activity which leads to the ending of suffering. When dukkha is happening, Buddha didn't go, oh, poor you. Oh, poor, poor, poor you. No, what you've got to do is say, I believe in Nibbana. Come on, don't be bashful. I believe in Nibbana. Though he encourages us to trust that there is such a thing as peace. He encouraged that, you know, that suffering is natural, it's part of nature, and actually opening to it ennobles us. Why that's such a powerful opening to his teaching. It's said that the Buddha's first talk, our teacher said the Buddha's first Dhamma talk was a flop. Right after he was enlightened, someone saw him and said, whoa, you're... Features are serene. Who is your teacher? <laughs> and the Buddha said something to the effect of, I don't have it memorized, something to the effect of, I'm the world conqueror, the world transcender. I have no teacher. Uh, and the, uh, I have realized the deathless, something like that. And the guy sort of shook his head and said, good for you, and went off the other way. <laughs> It was, what's he do with that? He could believe it. And so, you know, at least our teacher said, well, maybe while the Buddha was thinking who to teach and he was walking with his inner sight, Pawan mentioned his teachers had died, but he realized his fellow practitioners who had abandoned him earlier because he was a slacker, he saw where they were, and so he did the long walk from Bodhgaya to the deer park in Benares where he saw they were, and maybe he was thinking about that first talk. How that guy just went off another way. I think uh, Goenkaji used to say, he was at the bank of the Ganges, and he didn't take a drink. (laughs) So, but you know, (laughs) so then when the Buddha uh, reached his friends at first he, he, they said hey the slacker's coming just if he wants to sit down fine but we don't we don't acknowledge him just just he ain't special and then as it got closer they couldn't help themselves he was so so radiant they made a place and against their better judgment and uh, then he sat down and said i've realized the deathless and they say yeah sure receiving offerings from beautiful girls, milk rice. They, that's like the ice cream of the day. They didn't, they wouldn't, and he said three times, and they, they didn't 
couldn't believe it. And he said to them, then, have I ever talked to you this way before? That, that, they realized, no, Gautama wouldn't lie to us. Have I ever talked to you like this before? Then they listened. And he started, there is dukkha. Not just saying, you have to believe there is suffering. It needs to be understood. Normally when we suffer, oh gosh, I thought I was done with the back, and it's back, and I don't know what I did wrong. It's that damn rain. So it's I am suffering. When we don't look closely, it's I'm suffering, I want to get rid of it. All those categories. When one opens to something, then we're deepening our capacity. This is why it's ennobling to be realistic. Bear how life is. What you're opening to, then there's the possibility of recognizing how we feed it. How we sustain and perpetuate this dukkha. needs to be understood. And then in time, rather than I'm suffering, I'm suffering, there is suffering. The Buddha didn't just say, you're suffering and you're suffering. The first noble truth is there is dukkha needs to be understood. As we open to it, then we'll start to see this tanha, this conditioned, automatic, in a way, compulsive, grasping and rejecting, like sense desire, the kama tanha, is, is wanting the sights and sounds that please us and tastes and sensations. We, 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 it's not bad, it's enjoyable. When there's clutching at it, we, there's, a, there's a subtle wanting it to be this way, always. This, this, this will make me happy. And it does, for a time. Then it changes. Then something painful arises. Then vipawadana can arise. Wanting to get rid of that. So when our happiness is conditioned on a certain pleasure, then when the pleasure changes, when we're leaning on a certain focus of the grasping mind, like feeling or form, and it changes, there's dislocation. Suffering, which then leads to rebirth, a reseeking of a new place of abiding. The cessation, and similarly, the causes of suffering. You don't say, you know, "Oh, I'm so, I'm so greedy. I'm so averse. I'm so deluded." Again, the origin is tanha. It's just there is grasping. There is aversion. It's moving so much from me. It seems like me, but as we dhamma vichaya, as we investigate, see things as they are, we realize we're noticing patterns. We're noticing dharmas, formation, the nature of things. And when this tanha ceases, 
when it truly ceases in a moment, there's the possibility to taste, to one feel the relief and release. It's actually stressful, as Ajahn Chah would say, when you look for certainty in that which is not certain, you are bound to suffer. When we're wanting feeling, pleasant feeling, or a certain form, being healthy, or a good mood, we're wanting that to be, oh, I finally made it, gee, let's write that down. Day four, (sighs) broke through. That good mood, when we want it to be certain, we become it, we lean on it, I am happy. But as it changes, that's the same as leaning on something and then it collapses. So we fall down. When there's non, when there's the letting go of that, it's the possibility of recognizing the unsupported, unconditioned, Undying. It's called the Amatta Dhamma, the deathless Dhamma, that which is not coming and going, that which is peaceful, that which the Buddha called the root, the essence of consciousness, where all things have their footing, all things merge in this ground of listening, of knowing, of awareness. This, these phrases that Buddha used, tatagatagarabha, this womb that gives forth to all phenomenon. The path, important path, all this work and why this is such an important time in our retreat as we've done a lot of work being with ourselves, being and metabolizing all this restlessness and sluggishness and desire and aversion and compulsive thinking. And and we all have, there's a measure now of composure Juan also opened up last night how the Buddha encouraged us then to, as we're understanding this suffering, the cause, the cessation in the path, we start to look into the nature of things, what are called the characteristics. Nietzsche, change, ephemeral nature of conditions. This is not something Oh, yeah, well, I know everything changes. It's dawn, it's dusk. I'm... Today's different from yesterday. I mean, that's something intellectually. But what happens when we... What's being encouraged here is to actually, with this presence of mind, touch into this body that we so much take to be me and mine. This is myself. And the forms around us. And to notice the changing nature. And this is not far from our calming practice. The Buddha taught them 
close, just a slight adjustment from calming to inquiring. Because there are different words, well, there's calm and then there's insight. What are you doing, calm or insight? Oh, I'm insight, what are you, calm? There's whole wars between them. And yet the Buddha described it's like two oxen pulling the plow. They work in tandem. Or Ajahn Chah described it as a, a candle, building a big candle. You got a big candle, you can brag, I've got the biggest darn candle in the room. But what good is your candle if you don't light it? You light the candle. Then it can illumine a dark space. You're hearing sounds, you don't know what they are. It could be this, could be that. You walk into the room and it's illumined and you can negotiate with what's there. The candle, the lighting is the inside. The candle though, you know, if you just have a match, you can see for a second, then it goes out. Oh dear. Light another match, then it goes out. Light another match. A candle allows a sustained flame. When we're more composed, samatha, calm, gives this composure, steadiness that allows our looking into to be penetrating, to be true, to be trustworthy, to be resilient. As we calm today, we're going to be just starting to notice the changing nature. Like I've done it before, the changing nature sounds are very good form to reveal the ever-changing nature. This so-called Dharma talk. We have views about it. It's good, it's bad, it's this, it's that. But when we touch the actuality, the words and phrases, and allow ourselves to penetrate and recognize Dharma talk, though it sounds like a noun, a thing, the actuality of Dharma talks fluid, it's dissolving, it's coming and going, arising and merging into an underlying luminous silence. Our thoughts, same way. Oh, it's, it's, it's going better. I knew I'd turn the corner. It's wonderful. I'm turning the corner. That's a wonderful thing to feel like one's turning the corner. But if we touch our thoughts, I'm turning the corner. I'm turning the corner. Arises and then there's a silence around that. Oh, I thought I was turning the corner. I ran into a wall. Oh, God, I'm stuck again. I'm stuck again. I'm stuck again, arises, and if it's dukkha, not hating it, opening to it. And notice when we attach to, I'm stuck again, taking a bubble to be the whole ocean, that's me, I'm stuck again. And and, uh, it could be a painful feeling with that. But as we notice the I am stuck again, shifting, changing, 
It's dukkha. Another translation of dukkha means not reliable, not able to satisfy us. It's there and gone. I'm stuck again. Or, oh, now I see. Now I see. Oh, it's all clear. It's all clear. And then that's a pleasant thought, and it's wonderful when it's all clear. But if we just want the it's all clear, want that to be permanent, and it keeps dissolving as we honor the changing nature, honor that conditions are not able to satisfy us, even the most wonderful success. Yes, appreciate it. But if we want it to satisfy us, and I know, I, I won a national tournament, my hand was raised up, my mom took a photo, and I can open the book, but that is a moment. doesn't mean to say we don't appreciate that moment and the work, but it's dukkha when we grasp at it, as we see change and unreliability It's the imagining something is what it can't be. When we realize anatta, it's not self. It's not mine. The essence of anatta means it's not, doesn't belong to me. That's why in the Buddha's teachings, giving back, letting go, returning to Mother Nature, As we're sitting and walking today, not hating the dukkha if it comes, opening to it, breathing with it, steadying ourselves with the sitting and walking and lying down, standing, appreciating the in and out breath and the relative slowness of the changes of the body. Then, just, we're not just dropping all that, just our composure can also notice. For example, with the breathing, breathing in and out, noticing change. The changing nature of the sensations, the changing nature of sounds that mingle with the sensations, the changing nature, even if there's a thought storm, oh, it's just a thought storm. Oh, I, I, I wanted that. I had calm yesterday. I've got a thought storm. Believe me, trying to fight a thought storm just makes it stormier. My mind's gone wild, my mind's gone wild. What if it's just dharma, a thought storm? And enjoy the leaves fluttering. Wow, the nervous system firing. Breathing in and out change. And as we really start to notice change, the raga starts to arise. It means a fading, a dispassion. Something that's really changing obviously isn't ours. To grab on to. 
was a waterfall on our land at Dharmagiri when it really rains and it's awesome when it's going over the cliff. It's our waterfall up there. You get close to a waterfall and you grab it, you can call it yours, but what does that mean? It's a way of talking. If you really think it's yours, it's Mother Nature. That softening, that allowing it just to be what it is, ironically, the more we accept the ungraspable nature of change, of forms and body and feeling and thoughts and moods, the more we release and allow nature to be nature, we find ourselves resting in the ground of the heart, that which is always already there, peaceful. We can breathe in and out, cultivating dispassion as we allow for the natural pleasures and pains of life, the dawn and the dusk, the things going well and not so well, changing of the conditions, breathing in and out, letting go letting things just cease, savoring the ending of a thought, the ending of a breath, resting in peace. Give yourself an opportunity to practice deepening that trust. Ajahn Chah said, Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.